0: Good morning. Am I, um, am I going here? Okay. Can you guys hear me? I can't hear myself. Am I good? Whoa, I'm good. Yeah. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Um, oh, this is what a great day. Um, love seeing people get baptized. That just didn't that just kind of thrill you? That's a good thing. Hey, Jace. Yeah, what a good day! Um, and some of my favorite songs we've done today, and all these gifts that you've given to these children that are going to make an absolute amazing Christmas for them. And now I get to hear myself preach. What a day! What a day! Um, i um I, kinda, I, like, I like all kinds of history i didn 't like it in like eighth grade when they made you study it and just memorize information and give it back. But as I got older, I began to be really fascinated with all the things that have happened before us, so much so that now I read about history. even um, watch the History channel. you ever come in and your dad's watching the history channel Eric I know you do dude that's your like your life that's your job but um it's you know and church history is even more bizarre sometimes than, you know, like political history and um, American history and other things. One of the weirdest guys, one of the strangest figures in, in history was this guy named Simeon, and they called him Simeon the Stalite. Uh, it, was, it was around 423 that he got this idea, and what he did is he built this short um, a, a pillar, a, uh, a stand uh, about... I don't know eight or eight or ten feet tall and he climbed up on top of it and he lived there for the next 37 years he lived on this this little perch that he he had made for himself and a lot of people would come out to see him uh some people thought this guy's nuts uh we want to see this it was a curiosity even in that you know day and age they thought what a weird thing to do um so they would come out to see him and people would ask him, why are you living up there on that pole? You know, why, why are you doing this? And he explained that he just simply, he said, I'm just a Christian. I'm just a Christian. I want to live in communion with God in, in solitude. I just want to live my life to the Lord. So I've come out to the desert and I put this pole up and this is my way of separating myself from sin and devoting myself entirely to God. And just for a moment, when we think about that, we think, what a guy. He's so spiritual. And we think, yeah. but it raises questions for me about Simeon, or Sime as I call him. Um, what does it really mean to be spiritual? I mean, as far as, as Simeon's concerned, you could be more spiritual in the desert than living in the city. You could be more spiritual alone than involved in relationships. Was he right? I like what one husband and father asked. He heard about Simeon's lifestyle, and he said, "Was there childcare on the pole? Was there? Who changed diapers? Who who took their? How did you get your kids to their basketball games? And how did you? you know, and I wonder those kind of things. How would he learn gentleness? He didn't have to be gentle with anybody or kindness. Or how did he learn to love? If most of Jesus' teachings were okay, here's the whole." you know, idea about the love thing, and here's how you do that with God, here's how you do that with each other. seems like, got it, not a problem. I'm on the pole. I just love me. Um, I don't know. But I do think there are a lot of Christians that I know who think like that for a number of reasons. Some have, and some of you maybe, you've just gotten burned so badly by other people You've been in relationships that didn't go well, and you just can't handle that. So, you know what? It's easier for me just not go there. So, people will separate themselves from close relationships because it just hurts too much. Other people see people as a temptation, and they just stay away from them, or at least a distraction, you know that? I just, and so I'm just going to stay, I'm just going to pull and I'm going to hit the button on my garage door opener. I'm going to pull in and I'm going to hit the button again and it's going to go down. And I'm never going to get to know anybody. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, the minute this meeting is over, this, start, you know, boom, I'm out of here. I'm not going to hang out. I'm not going to meet people. I'm not going to be in a community group. It just leads, I, I, it's just too hard. And I end up getting hurt or this ends up happening or, or I get tempted by people. And I, so, you know what, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going not gonna to go there. Uh, and some people are away from church this morning for that reason, um, because church can be kind of a crazy place sometimes. And I have used and then later heard all the same excuses. You know, I mean, the, the reasons. Oh, there's so much hypocrisy, and there is. I was at Nayland Stadium last night. It was. They're so hypocritical. <laughs> I'm never going to another game. You know, those people down at the stadium, they just, you know, I mean, and that's true. And, and it's true in Allery, in the restaurant. There are hypocrites working in there. You know, they, I'm never going to eat again. Those, those hypocrites in the restaurant, you know, uh, and, and they are. And there are people here. I wish I could say, that's just not true. <laughs> but we know, and there's just a lot of trash in people's lives who call themselves Christians. And so sometimes it's easier just to say, I'm going to stay away. I had a roommate in college. He said, "You know what? From now on, it's just me and God. People are so. I, I'm just. I've got my Bible. I've got God. That's all I need. Not going to do. It, you know, that's it." I said, "Man, I don't know if that's an option." I said, "I don't know if you get that choice because we're not this smooth, perfect machine. We're not. We're, we're mechanical and we're messy and and we're we're all over the place sometimes." We're kind of like, I don't know if you've had any kind of machine with wheels on it that, that squeak from time to time. You know, we're like, we're like squeaky wheels. We're like a machine, like some of your cars, you know, or, or things around your house. I come up here a lot on Saturdays by myself and kind of get ready. I'm just going to pull this out. Uh, and, and, and sometimes I go around and I have this spray, this, it's, this is heavy duty. This is not for the laity. This is… Only, you can only get this if you're a pastor. Um, we buy it through Lifeway. It's um, really special stuff. It's silicone spray lubricant. It waterproofs, rustproofs, and lubricates compatible with all metal, wood, and rubber. <laughs> I mean, I can spray this on anything I want. <laughs> yeah. And… Uh, I was up here one day, and I and I was in this area, and, and I just went through and kind of you know I, I noticed that even our front door is squeaking. I noticed it this morning. I went upstairs and I could hear it, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to use this this idea, and then people are going to say, well, how come your front door squeaks then? Where's your lubricant spray? But I was walking down the hall one day, and a guy. I, I, it was dark. I don't turn on the lights. I just kind of creep around <laughs> alone <laughs> in the church. Uh, Cause people mess me up, and no, I'm just kidding, but I'm, uh, so I'm walking to the front, and there, and this guy comes around the corner, and he's walking down the hall, and it's some, I don't know this person, and I'm here by myself, and just instinctively, I, I've, I've, I'm not really a violent person, moments I am, but uh, I'm just walking like this, and he, and I just kind of did my hands up, so he goes like this, <laughs> and I said, hey, can I help you, and he goes, oh, I'm looking for, you know, and he starts, he goes into the story, and He's just—he's looking for something, you know. He wants something. He goes, "Oh man, I thought you were going to pepper spray me." <laughs> that would be. I said, "No, dude, I'm going to lubricate you. I'm going to you covered." So, you know. But we need this sometimes, and you understand that around your house, um, my garage door, my car, everything needs that from time to time. And that's kind of what happens at the church. I mean, I've got a mountain bike and a friend of mine's got this really cool device that you put on the chain and you go through and it just gets all the mud and the grit and the grease and everything. And I have to do that almost every time I ride it, you know, because pretty hardcore, ride pretty hard, get it messed up. Um, yeah. Uh, so how do we do that in a, in a church? In this setting, because we are like squeaky wheels, and, we're not gonna, and it does no good for us to pretend when we invite family to visit or friends or neighbors and they come to the church and they think, I expected people to kind of glow a little bit and for everybody to say, Good morning, brother. <laughs> how art thou? Thine are fine. I don't know how to say these things. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us what it looks like, what it really looks like to be spiritual, genuine spirituality. He said, first of all, that true spirituality flows out of this life that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus, that faith in Christ uh, means you're forgiven and that you've been made righteous. You're free from the law. That's not how we get accepted. And, and that God has already embraced you in his son. But that's not all. He goes on and he says, all of those who know Christ have been indwelt with the spirit of the living God and that he actually lives in us and that we just cooperate in an active way with the Holy Spirit as he works in our life. And when we do that, the spirit of God in us produces this delicious Spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things began to blossom in our lives. And what's so interesting about the fruit of the Spirit is that most of these things can't happen in isolation. You think about it. You choose to live your life by yourself, just your select you know, little group. You can't really do any of those things. So how would Simeon learn Patience with an irritating brother, with somebody who just annoys him. How is he going to figure out how to live in peace with that person when he's up on a stick? You know, and saying, I don't have to deal with him anymore. Life's pretty good up here. I wonder if he had a remote. <laughs> you know, that would be, okay. At the end of the chapter, and in the first few verses of chapter 6, Paul gets very sp- specific about how to live in love how do we do that? And right off the bat, um, it's so obvious that church can be a challenging place. I was in and out of church for several years. I would say in, like I would visit once or twice or three times, and then I was out for a month or two at a time, and then I would get talked back into going, and, you know, and it was a little bit, it was just a challenge. And I thought, and I can remember telling my friend at lunch one day, I said, man, you people are crazy. I said, just, I said I, when I come to visit your church, I said, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. I said, it's just, I said, I, I tell my other friends, you're not going to believe what they did next. Or you're not going to believe what this lady said to me. Or this, you know, I, I said, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy sometimes. Because, and, and I can say this because I'm, I'm in the family. You know how nobody else can talk about your family but you and you can say whatever you want? That's probably not right either, but I, I, this is the deal. Church sometimes, sometimes, and I love it. I love the church. I'm, I, I'm honestly, but we're like a big dysfunctional family, like one big squeaky wheel. I have a '57 Chevrolet, and it uh, it is old, and it's very mechanical. Uh, and when I see an ad in the paper that says, come in for this, you know, here's a you can clip out these, these coupons, you know, uh, that you get an oil change for this amount. And, and in fine print, it always says, and free, you know, lubrication of the entire car. And see, what they're thinking about is, like, I've got an 04 Volvo. It has zero lubrication points. Nowhere to lubricate on it at all. And so they're like, hey, can we get the, oh, sorry, I guess you don't have them. I love taking my 57 in. So you know what? It's got 18 places it needs greased. They go, what? I go, yeah, let me point them out for you while I sit back and watch you do it. Because um, (laughs) your little little note in the paper here says that you will do all this. I mean, 18. But otherwise, and and the way that I know that it's time is it starts squeaking the car. And, And if you've ever ridden with me in the car or seen it, you know, and you, you go down the road, and it's like... You know, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the way it is. And we're kind of like that sometimes. We're kind of like that. So Paul starts by telling us what not to do. Look what he says in verse 26. He said, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying each other. If you want to live in community... Don't be conceited, don't be braggy, don't be proud. Uh, You know, pride, conceit, and boasting, all of that, it just poisons relationships. I want you to notice something about this verse. It teaches us that how we treat other people will be determined by how we view ourselves. When we're boastful or conceited, we're either challenging one another or we're envying one another. I want you to think about it because selfish conceit causes us to challenge each other. Uh, The idea here and what the word really means is to challenge someone to a contest. This is exactly what was happening. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? And Goliath would come out every day and say, give me your best man. Come on, bring it on. Let's do this. You know, let's rumble. He, He was ready. That was a call to combat. And that's what this word means that you can be so sure of your superiority that you want to prove it by showing other people up. It might be pride. and It could be in your opinions, in your knowledge, your abilities, even your spirituality. You know, the the lady on the SNL skit who just one-ups everybody? Yes, well, I had M&Ms and M&M&Ms and L&Ls and L's. you You know people in church like that? I tithe 99% of my salary, you know, and they just, and you think, well, that's really great, but did you have to work that into the conversation? Sometimes we, we kind of do that to each other, but we love to challenge each other and just show off our stuff. And the weird thing is, is that this kind of, fin- that conceit can also cause us to envy each other, you know, because inevitably you're going to run into somebody who shows you up, Somebody else that you can't beat. You can't arm wrestle them and win or, you know, whatever it is. But there's somebody in the room who's smarter than you, who's wittier than you, faster than you, richer, better looking, skinnier, whatever it is. And and that causes all kinds of problems. You know, jealousy rises up and envy, and it just eats us. And many of us, guys, we walk around this way, either feeling superior are feeling inferior all the time. You're constantly looking at people around you. That just poisons our relationships. It's so self-consuming. It's not conducive to community, and it's, and it's no way to live. And the, the thing is, you can't really love people when you're like that. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is not jealous. It does not love to brag. It's not arrogant. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. He just gives this definition of what genuine Christian community is about and how it's governed. And it's not by rivalry. It's not by, you know, that kind of thing. It's by service. The right attitude to other people isn't, you know what, I'm better than you, and I'm going to prove it. Or, you know, you're better than me, and I resent that. (laughs) The right attitude is, you know what? You are a person of importance and of value, and I respect you. God made you in His image. Christ died for you, so I'm going to rejoice with you when you rejoice, and I'm going to weep with you when you weep. That's what love is. That's what church is. Paul goes on to say, and, and he tells us what, not just what not to do, but what to do. In, verse, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, so that you don't fall into that kind of temptation. Now, a couple of things I want to point out about this verse, because it's kind of it's crazy, it's a really fascinating verse. First of all, Paul calls them Brothers. You know, and, and we're so used to that that we, it doesn't catch our attention so much. But right from the start, he reminds us, you're a family. And this is how we relate to he says, brothers. He didn't say comrades. He didn't say uh, fellow employees. He, you know, he put it in this context of family. And we take our cues on how a family ought to function. Because we're not a business. We don't follow business model in our relationships with other believers. We're a family, and families need to be honest with each other. We don't sweep things under the rugs, and we don't build teams. We, you know, that's, We've got that, right? You're about to go into Thanksgiving, and some of you are going to be exposed to that. You're going to go, oh, I forgot how crazy my family is, and I forget. You know, There was a time when I had to ask, now, who are we mad at now, and who are we in alliance with? You know, to <laughs> Tell me, because it shifts, and I'm, I'm from out of town, so tell me whose team I'm on right now. You know, that's so dysfunctional. Uh, And some of you, you've been there, maybe you are there. So with that in mind, Paul addresses a real specific situation. He brings this, this thing up. He says, you know, even if a guy gets caught in a trespass, even if somebody's messing up, and he talks about it as if it's this normal occurrence in the life of a church, a better translation of that verse would be, even when... A guy is caught in a, in a trespass, even when somebody messes up and you catch him. In other words, he's kind of thinking it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a normal part of church life. I know that probably rubs you wrong. It does me too, because you think, no, that ought never happen in a church. You know, that those people at the church, I couldn't believe it. They sin. Yeah. And, 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 and it, but it, that happens, and it happens all the time, because we're humans, we're redeemed, and we're forgiven, and we're changed. But we're humans, and we fail. We fall from time to time. We're all in a battle. We're not in a dormant situation. We have an enemy who is crafty and subtle and powerful, and he's terrifically hateful. And he's after you. So when he speaks of being caught in a trespass, we need to understand what that means. And The word caught... Means to be overtaken by something. Paul isn't saying, you know, you throw up in the door and oh, red-handed. You already caught you. It's it's not exactly like that. What the word really means is being overtaken. You ever watch those channels where this one animal is being chased by a predator, like a, um, I don't know, uh, a gazelle? Say that, that right. I just like to say that gazelle. What a, what a nice word. But then the nice word gazelle gets eaten by a lion, and you watch these. Shows And the first time you ever see one of these, it's, you think, you're not going to show this. They're not going to show this. And then they show it. And the line goes in flesh and blood and brains. And you think, oh my goodness. And you're covering your... And it, it's, that's what this word means. To be overtaken, to be ambushed by the trespass itself. The picture is somebody who gets caught in a trap because they didn't know the trap was there. And they're just kind of walking along and they fall into a trap. The word trespass literally means to stumble and to fall by the waist. It means to, to fall. So the picture here isn't this rebel, you know, shaking his fist at God, saying, oh, no, I don't care. It's more like this. It's more of somebody who's really trying to do the right thing. It's a precious brother or sister who wants to please God, and they get ambushed by sin, sometimes by an old sin. Paul tells us what to do. With, what do you do with somebody like that? What am I, your parents have asked you that. What am I going to do with you? Is that like a real, you would really want suggestions, or was that rhetorical? <laughs> yeah, I say, take me to the store, take me to Best Buy. You know, um, They really don't mean that. So what, what do we do? Uh, believers typically, and this has been my experience, whether it's in family or church or even at a workplace, when you catch somebody in a situation like that, in the body of Christ, we try to sweep it under the rug and deny it completely. Never happened. Don't know what you're talking about. Not here. Wouldn't happen here. And maybe we do that under the guise of grace. Well, we're all under grace. Judge not, lest you be judged. So we can't, you know. So that's just so perfect. So what do we do? Nothing. And people who take it, they just do nothing. And on the other hand, and some of you have had this experience, there are those who are so harsh and so angry and vindictive and judgmental, and they don't do any good at all. They, sometimes they, you know, they think, well, I'm going to deal this indirectly. I'm going to gossip about them. I'm going to share it Wednesday as a confidential prayer request. Yeah, I've got a prayer request. Um, Paul gives us an entirely different approach. He says, restore such a one. Restore that person. You can't restore somebody if you're ignoring it. Pretend, now you're okay. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And you can't restore somebody if you're if you're mad and you're just being judgmental toward them. So what the restore means is to act in such a way as to bring positive healing and change into their life. The word restore was actually, and I, and I love this; it's so beautiful. It was it was actually in secular circles, and then it was kind of lifted over and brought into a scriptural context. Paul was brilliant at that. But what it meant was to. To restore or to, to reset a bone that had been broken. When a doctor resets a bone, it was also used to mend a fishing net. You know, if it gets a tear in it, to, to, to tie it up. But the idea isn't to tear down, but to mend, to, to bind, to heal, so that we can function the way that we're supposed to. And one way that we restore a, a brother is by bringing to bear on the situation the truth of God's Word. Hey, here's what the Bible says about that. Sometimes the truth hurts, uh, but the purpose is always to restore. You know, I never look up a verse and say, oh, yeah, you let, let me tell you a verse. I got you a verse for that. And use this like a weapon, like a club to hit each other over the head with. No, it's always used as an ointment. It's always used as instruction and as, as guidance and as a medicine. Paul tells us how to do this. I'm, I'm always looking for the, okay, that's, I'm in. How do I do that? How do I do that? He said to restore such a one with a, a spirit of gentleness. So don't be harsh. Don't be mean in your approach. Be tender. Be soft. And that doesn't mean you're weak. Uh, the idea behind gentleness is strength under control. So if you've ever had a broken a, a, broken, a broken bone, uh, a broken bone, and been in a position where a doctor's trying to reset that. You know how important that idea is. There's need for firmness. There's need for strength. You don't want him to be so, you know what, I'm sorry, I just can't hurt you, so I'm just going to leave it like it is, and it'll be fine. No, you think, no, we've got to reset this, but you also want him to be gentle about it. I was in a car wreck once, and it really got my back. I got some ribs broken, and an ordinary man would have died, but I uh, I'd prevailed physical strength it's just amazing but I had to have physical therapy for some time after that and these guys would twist me around and turn me and they'd say okay you're, you're about to not like what I'm about to do and I just want you to know I'm going to do it as gently as I can <laughs> you know? but you see that's what this word means you've got to be firm but we're dealing you know with somebody a brother who's been broken by sin and we're dealing with sensitive areas and fragile people and it's so critical be gentle Be gentle. And Paul says, don't just not only be gentle, he says, act with humility. He says, look at yourselves so that you don't get tempted too. He said, don't approach this person with an air of spirituality, of superiority. You know, he says, if you think you're in a place where you're never going to get caught by sin, you're getting set up for a fall. There's going to be a fail somewhere along the way. Pride comes before a fall. So don't make that mistake. When you go to restore a brother, do it with a humble spirit. And with that in mind, Paul tells us who it is that's supposed to do this restoring. Okay, well, who does that? He says, you who are spiritual. Now, we issue tags here at Calvary that you can wear on your lapel um, that say, I am spiritual, so that you'll know who to go to when, when you fall. Now, I mean, you know, don't you wonder about that, though? Who are these spiritual people? It's like there's some elite class of spiritual giants. You know, we've got our special forces. Yeah, there's the pastors, the deacons, yeah, there's ministry teams, community groups, but then we've got the uh, spiritual people. Yeah, they're upstairs, they're out back. Yeah, we got them, and they can repel in at any moment when we need them to. That's what it sounds like, like Rambo, you know, going to come in, go around, trying to get everybody's lives straight. I've known some of those people in the church, you've known some of those people, hey, excuse me, it's my job to point out sin, and I couldn't help but notice, you know, Um Somebody, if you're one of those people, could you, just so that others would know who you are, we can, no, I'm just kidding. Um, let me do it. No, I'm, I'm really kidding. Um, just a joke, lighten up. Okay, um, the work of restoration, in, in other words, the point of this is that it's not the job for immature believers. It's not, the, it's not, it's not for babies, because this is a place where the Lord's going to manifest His character in other people's lives. So the first thing we do is to restore one another. The second thing we do uh, is found in verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens, and therefore you fulfill the law of Christ. What we're all about is bearing one another's burdens. And this applies to what He just said about restoring a brother. Because you don't just point out the sin and say, Now, you're a sinner, and here's what I've noticed. Okay, you could, okay. just wanted you to know. Uh, about that. Now, you don't just say, hey, I think you've got a broken bone. Are you going to reset it and bring it? No, but I just wanted you to know you got one. Uh, it, it's not enough. He says, you've got to carry the load for that person sometimes. It's not just enough to lift him back on his feet. You know, you, you've got you've to come through, and you've got to help that person because they're broken. Now, here's, last night I went to the game, and at halftime, this is probably not an appropriate illustration, but I'll just, I'll just throw this out here for you because we're all just friends, okay? And please don't let it leave this room. But um, we're in the men's room, and there's a long line. It's going out, you know, halftime, and, and so you're kind of yeah, I'm in line. And I noticed there's a guy in front of me. This is, so, this is true. He has two broken arms. From here to here, he's got cast on both arms. So, you know, you're standing in line. You're going, you've got time to think about things. So I was with another guy, and I punched him, and I kind of went, you know, and he goes. <laughs> and, you know, he's thinking the same thing. Finally, we, we get, you know, it's almost like our turn, and everybody's watching this poor guy. He's like, because we want to know, hey, are you okay? And Finally, there's, there's, an, there's an older gentleman, and he's got on this huge, puffy orange jacket, of course, and he's sitting over here. So he turns to the guy, and he says, hey, you need some help? <laughs> I'm like, dude, no, no. And the guy says, no, I got it. I got it. I'm good. So every guy in there is laughing at everything. And we're just, you mind? We're, and then, of course, then every guy in there starts doing this. We're all looking. We're not going you know, to, I don't always know how to help somebody who's broken, okay? I don't, you don't know how but I know I'm supposed to. I know that's our ministry and that's that in life we carry heavy loads. It's a heavy burden. It could be a sorrow or a worry or a doubt or a depression. depression. It could be a painful divorce. It could be a rebellious child. It could be a time of unemployment. And it's just too much for us to bear alone. What do you do? You said, well, they got themselves into that, or well, they shouldn't have done, well, this. Paul says, no, no. Come alongside them and shoulder some of the burden. Carry some of their load for them. Because there are times in life, there are seasons and places in life that just crush people. And if you don't know that, you've never been crushed. You're not there yet. But you will be. And when you've been crushed, you need somebody to come along and say, hey, let me carry some of that for us. He says, you shouldn't ever have to carry your burden alone. One, we have the Lord. Psalm 52, 22 says, cast your anxiety on the Lord. Cast your burden on Him and He'll carry you. 1 Peter 5, 2 says, cast all your worries on Him because He cares about you. You think, well, we just cast it on the Lord. You know, the, what the beautiful thing about what God does oftentimes is that sometimes He brings us along because we're the body of Christ. You are the shoulders of Jesus. And, and, and somebody's got too great a burden, you need to come down off your perch, get off your pole, you know, and help somebody. I was at Tyson McGee, I was at the airport just a few weeks ago, and my baggage got lost, and you know, I was just trying to, trying to find it, And so I'm standing there waiting at the carousel. There's only, I think our airport has two, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, which is kind of okay sometimes, and kind of nice. But I'm watching this, uh, and there's this and I don't want to use the cliche, little old lady, but she was little, and she was old, and she was a lady. And she was at the carousel, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of standing back. You know how everybody rushes up and gets their spot, you know, gets their place to try to, you know, be first to grab their, because they've got somewhere really important to go. Uh, so I'm just kind of hanging back, and I'm watch, and I'm watching her. This suitcase comes through, the size of Dallas. I mean, you could put, you could put a, a small, you know, a baby elephant in there or something. It was just this huge case, and it comes down, and who do you think it is? And it comes down to her, and it comes down, hits the thing, and she starts trying to get it off, and it's still moving. So we're all just laughing, thinking, That's a, look at that little lady. That's so funny. <laughs> Good luck. you know. And we're watching her, but it's, and she's trying to pull it off, and the weirdest thing about it is people are standing there watching her. Like, it's this curiosity. And I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. This is outrageous. And I go over there and I start pulling it. And then other people, I'm the hero in my stories. Um, <laughs> I helped the lady. But uh, and you would have done the same thing. We can't sit by and watch when a brother goes through an emotional burden or a sister has a financial, you know, and just not lift a finger to care, to help. There's so many different ways that we can do that in the body of Christ. And, and Jesus talked about this. You know, In John 13, 34, he said a new commandment. I'm going to give you a brand new commandment. Love one another just like I love you. Listen, Jesus bore my sins on the cross. He carried everything. He bore everything for me. He says, now you bear one another's burdens. I've given you the example. I've shown you what to do and, and how to, to do that. So we carry each other's burdens. We we lighten uh, that load for one another. In verse three, he says, "You know the basic problem is kind of what he talked about earlier, and would we'll kind of wrap this up." But he said, uh, for "If everyone thinks he's something when he's really nothing, he deceives. You're just tricking yourself. You're kidding yourself." Paul says, "Pride makes us think we're really something, and we're really not, um, and we don't want to." We're so, we get so self-centered in our focus. Well, I'm not going to help because life is all about me. Here's me. Here's all of you. you know? and, and, and we begin to, to think like that. And he says, no, you've got to get your eyes back on God rather than on other people. And the, the, the remedy for that is this, is this idea, this prideful comparison. In verse 5 he says, For each one of us shall bear his own load. But don't focus, don't focus on how you're measuring up. To everybody else. Uh, focus on what God has given you. Focus on the load that He's given you. And on the surface, this seems to be kind of a contradiction because in verse 2 he says, "He says we need to bear one another's burdens. And then here he says, uh, you need to bear your own burden. Well, which is it? Well, what, is, what does that mean? And how do you figure that out? Well, the key, the secret is that Paul uses different words in these two places. The word for burden in verse 2 is like a really heavy load. And this is as heavy as I have with me today. It's really not. But you get the, it, a big thing. He says, wow, this is so heavy for somebody in there. They're kind of trying." He says, this is a load, and they can't carry it by themselves. You need to help do that. Now, in verse 5, he, he uses the word. Uh, he says, now, everybody needs help carrying their burden, but you know what? You should carry your own burden. And then he switches words and he uses it for the little. He says, "You need to carry your. You need to be responsible for your stuff." But then, when the burden grows and it gets big and it gets heavy, he says, "You're going to need some help." And then you, you know, you get more and you start having to carry all this stuff. He goes, "Help each other out." That's that's where that comes from because there's two different words uh, that he means there. Uh, the word I originally wrote down when I was studying was, "Oh, it's like a fanny pack," <laughs> but I just. I feel embarrassed to even say that word, but, um, you know, But uh, Paul is saying everybody's got their own fanny pack, and you can't carry mine, I can't carry yours, you deal with your own, and, uh, and he says, well, because one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account of how we did that, and that's what this passage is about. Paul's written a lot in this letter about freedom, Uh he says, you know, th- there's... But freedom doesn't eliminate either mutual accountability or personal responsibility. And I've heard people make this mistake. Oh, we're free in Jesus. You know, we don't keep the law anymore. We don't need to do that. We can do whatever we want. Um, You know, when we all sin, oh my goodness, it's no big deal. God forgives us. Just keep moving. You know, that's a huge misunderstanding of what freedom is really all about. You see, in one sense, remember Simeon, the stylite, he was wrong. In one sense, he kind of had it right. Uh, he was wrong to think that being truly spiritual is only about me and only about God. Spirituality can never be divorced from the demands of my community. I can't live down in a hole or up on a pole by myself and be genuinely spiritual. I've got to live with you and you've got to live with me because that's where it is created and where it's grown and nurtured to be truly spiritual you got to come down off your pole and serve others because there's a lot of squeaky wheels and we all need attention my bike i have to do this all the time my old nt car i have to do it all the time why because they're not new you know frictionless perfect machines they're more like us they need maintenance they need attention because we're doing life together all along the way. So let's do that together. Let's do that. I'm going to encourage you this afternoon or this week, go back and read through that chapter again and say, Lord, how do you want to apply this in my life? This is Thanksgiving, and I'm going to be around family and friends. Lord, show me how to make this real, how for this to be genuine and not just show I don't want to go home and everybody think, oh, he's religious. I want to be like Jesus. And I know you do too. Would you stand with me just for a moment? And um, we're going to wrap up our service. We we want to do a couple of things. We want to introduce you to.